0: Good day, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Cliff Notes on the Global Manufacturing Picture. I'm Cliff Waldman. I'm the host of this show, one of many on Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're going to talk about the auto industry today. In some ways, either directly or indirectly, it affects all of our futures, and it certainly is confronting all of today's enormous short-term and long-term challenges and then some. Along those lines, it is my great pleasure to welcome Haig Haig Stoddard back to my show. Haig has followed the auto industry for over three decades, starting as a reporter and eventually managing editor for Ward's Automotive Reports, then transitioning to Automotive Market Analyst. He has spent most of his career at Ward's, which since along the way at another independent organization, forecasting North American vehicle production, and as a vehicle demand analyst at both a major supplier and automaker. Since returning to Ward a decade ago, he has served as the company's chief market analyst and forecaster, contributing to several of the information provider's data products and tools, focusing on market analysis tying together demand, vehicle production, and powertrain trends. Currently, he is also spearheading long-term global outlook for wards on vehicle connectivity and automated vehicles. He serves on the Federal Reserve Automotive Roundtable and is a member of the Society of Automotive Analysts. Hey, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you, Cliff. I really appreciate you having me back on again.
0: You know, it's impossible to start a conversation on anything these days without talking about supply chains so that's what we'll do supply chain challenges particular, particularly but not exclusively a critical shortage of semiconductors have plagued us auto production during the past you know year or more let me ask if if you think this is getting better does anything suggest to you that supply chain issues in the auto sector are easing are we going to or are we going to continue to see supply-generated layoffs in
1: motor vehicles and parts? I guess, in a way, it doesn't seem like we are, because every every time we do a revision, we, we keep on bringing down how fast things are going to come back. And and really, the latest thing to really put a damper in, it, and it's just been, a, as you know, a big chain of things from little to big, is the uh, Russia invasion of Ukraine that, and I put a big damper again and how fast things are going to return. But the answer to your question in general is yes. It's just, as I said, not going to be very fast. Breaking it down and first starting with the semiconductor issue, Uh semiconductor part is improving. The semiconductors remain the major source of the production slowdowns. And they will con- will continue to be a big impediment to production of cars and light like trucks for the rest of the year. Now that situation, as I said, the semiconductor issue is improving, and that's because some of the manufacturers or the, uh, the semiconductor fab makers and so forth were already planning ahead right, or putting putting more of their capacity toward the auto industry for this year, uh, under the expectations of demand for. Semiconductors in other goods like electronics, and appliances, and other stuff that use them was well, going to slow this year from 2021. And as I think you know, the I'm sure you know the, uh, the headlines seem to be bearing them out lately that production or demand for goods of other things besides cars and trucks is slowing. So they made a good choice on that. So the semiconductor part is improving, and that's the good news. I mean, that means the production, we do see production slowly increasing and getting better. It's the, it's the other issues in the supply chain, of which there's a whole bunch of them, um, that are keeping things from getting much better. That, that's going to be the real drag for the rest of this year and maybe in the next year. As, long as the, But as long as the semiconductor shortage is improving, we do see, see things get better. So looking at it, uh, just to put a little bit more drilling down to it, we do, as I said, we see production improving significantly, actually in the second half of this year for North America in total. Um, we don't see the levels resuming until pre-pandemic, like for 2019 levels, until sometime in 2023. But uh, just to go into some uh, hopefully not boring detail, to set up what I'm going to say next about if remember about 80% of the vehicles sold in the U.S. come from plants in North America, U.S., Canada, and Mexico. So when we're talking about local production in, in, the, in, the, in the vernacular of the automotive industry, we think of North America production when talking about local manufacturing. Right. However, looking at the mix of vehicles, when you look at the manufacturing footprint, we actually see that the footprint of the kinds of vehicles that are being produced and so forth, that the vehicles that in some cases manufacturers are choosing to produce over others because of having to make a choice based on supply chain limitations, it's actually favoring the U.S. plants, And we actually see the U.S. in terms of white car and white truck getting back to pre-pandemic levels in the second half of this year I think the, Go ahead, please. No, I was gonna say I'm forgetting what the next part of your question was.
0: Well, let let let's push this out. Let's push supply chains out into the, the crystal ball, so to speak. Generally speaking, massive global supply chain problems are have been generating discussions of fundamental changes in supply chain management. Some are predicting that we're going to see, and this is becoming almost an old argument already. Some are predicting that we're going to see fewer globalized supply chains and more regionalized supply chains. What do you see for autos? Do you see you the U.S. auto industry supply chains changing in a fundamental way as a result of this period? You no,
1: know, I would say as a, as far as a fundamental change related to ge you know sourcing geographically. Yeah, I think the short answer to your question is yes. There is going to be a, in a more local sourcing, and probably the pandemic and, and what happens, particularly the semiconductor example, is going to push it more that way. And certainly, the, the the politics of the country right now, whether it's Democrat or Republican, are certainly pushing more toward even more than normal the local sourcing. But I think what's happening, and, and there was already some increase in local sourcing and a move toward more local sourcing, including producing more vehicles in North America, the U.S. or the local market, it was happening before the pandemic. So I think that was already happening. That will continue. What I don't see based on the current current supply chain or I'm thinking of the traditional parts that where the industry is still producing that they have been making basically for over 100 years. I don't think there will be a, a fundamental change in that. There will be some increased sourcing on those things, but not what I would call a tidal shift. I think there is going to be a reassessment in some cases that it's better for the supply chain flow to have some more parts and components done locally And critical items like some and so forth, which we already know there have been commitments on. To increase capacity in the U.S. for Um, philosophically, I don't think there's going to be a move away from, say, just in time delivery. I think it's going to just be done more, or attempted to be done with a little more wisdom, as in, it's going to be, it'll be smart to, certain parts or components of materials, it'll be smart to do more stockpiling on. So I think it's going to be more of a case of spreading out the source, you know, making sure there are backup plans. That is going to – that will mean bringing more parts to North America. But what I really think of and what what we need to watch, and I think where the fundamental change on a regional basis can happen is going to be in the long term, and that's mainly going to happen in conjunction with the shift to production of more electric vehicles and also more vehicles, gasoline-powered IC or internal combustion engine vehicles, As, as they increase their technology for more what we call ADAS or Advanced Driver Assistance Systems. You know, the more they get higher touch on them, the more we're going to start seeing more of that regional kind of sourcing for those kinds of things. But I think that's the kind of thing we're not going to start really seeing a significant or tidal shift on. Probably, it's happening, it's starting to happen now, but probably in about four or five years, we'll really start to see the significance of that. But I would just say just to keep it in the thought, you know, what we're talking about, we're already seeing some announcements on it, like battery plants and, and semiconductors and so forth, and things related to those, production of batteries, electric, electronic-related parts and so forth. When I'm thinking of a fundamental change and whether or not we're going to see a big change in the regional sourcing, it's, it's what's going to happen to all, the, all these OEMS acquire plants that are building, Forging, forming, assembling parts, and so forth are basically, you know, for internal combustion engine vehicles. You know, for someone, a lot of that is where the, that's where the fundamental change is going to happen is because a lot of that is going to be going away. And we're going to really be seeing that at the ground level probably in about four or five years, but maybe some, some early inklings of that within the next two or three years.
0: All right, uh well, you switching a little bit now. Auto sector pressures are certainly also coming from the demand side let's on uh, and that score let's first talk about everybody's least favorite subject right now, which is the surge in gas prices. Is there any measurable sense in which this is starting to affect auto demand in the u s actual auto demand from the surge in gasoline prices?
1: um, let's say there. There is nothing that just sticks out in the, in the data right now related to gas prices and whether or not they're really crimping demand. And the basic reason for that is that inventory of vehicles is still so low in total and all the way across, you know, all the segments or groupings the way you want to look at it. There just isn't enough volume. Everything pretty much that's being built is still being sold. But I would say you know if we were if we could go back to the beginning of the year and put inventory back, start the year with inventory at a normal levels and have production going normally forward, we would be running close even right now to probably seventeen million annualized sales rates where right now we're we've been running around the fourteen million rate year to date, and I think the seven million rates are basically what we were running at in the five years. Leading up to the pandemic year at 2020. but so I, I do see when you drill down on the numbers so a little bit further, I do see po- possible indicators looking directly at the biggest gas drills. There's a full size trucks. I'm talking about what we call light trucks. And that's mostly big pickups, but it also includes like the big sport utility vehicles and vans. But since the beginning of the year, the market share of those vehicles has been down a little. Market share is around about 26%. It's not down a lot. The inventory has been rising for those vehicles faster than the rest of the industry. Or, put another way, the inventory to sales ratio of those vehicles has been rising faster than the rest of the industry, but not very much. Um, overall, it's still – the inventory to sales is still very low. And it's still hard to say that demand is there, or that demand is being hurt by it. Um, I think that a counterpoint to that could also be that it's, you know, be a function of the industry is that it's focusing on production of those vehicles, or at least three or four, like Bruce, that really depend on them. They're higher priced and they make a lot more money. And it could be that just inventory is just building faster for those than it is for the industry because because those manufacturers are trying to build more of those uh, as opposed to the other vehicles that don't make that much. But I would say, again, going back to my scenario, if we could start the year normally with inventory and production, I think there would be some more obvious type of indicators sticking out that are saying that gas prices over $4 a gallon is having an impact on the underlying demand. I, I don't think it's really too bad right now because the economy is still doing good. There's, there is that pent up demand we've built up over the last two years, and you know, job unemployment is still low. But if gasoline prices don't start lightening up, I think soon, relatively soon, I think that impact of uh, that demand, impact on the negative impact in demand is probably going to start to snowball. And we might really be seeing start to see the effects of it, and the way to watch one way to watch that is to see what happens with retail incentives from the manufacturers if those start to come up, particularly for those big trucks or gas guzzlers. But I think that impact will probably start to snowball if fuel prices don't start to ease up soon.
0: Now, that's a actually that's a good segue into my next question. We're also, of course dealing with uh, a period of a fairly rapid rise in interest rates, of course, affecting vehicle financing costs. How do you see the interest rate rise playing out in auto demand over, let's say, the next year or two?
1: I think it will be a cap on growth because, obviously, the you know higher interest rates make monthly payments. That, for so the most part, is the real way to judge uh, and what it's going to do to a consumer's budget? How much is it going to take out of their monthly, uh, their monthly uh, uh, ability to pay their bills? But I think there's going to be some to growth, and you know, and to a certain extent, there might be some other offsets like length of financing contracts. Probably stuff will keep, will keep growing a little bit more, although that has its own negative ramifications for sales in the long. Term. With the with the pent up demand there is. And as long as the economy continues to grow, whether it's you it know, slows down or it, or it speeds up and un- unemployment stays low, I think new, new vehicle demand in general is going to keep growing. And so when you're taking into account that as well as the lack of inventory, I don't think it's going to be a major inhibitor, at least in the next year or two. Um, I think it will be marginal over the next two or three years. It will start to slow growth, and it will be among – Several other factors that play a role in capping maybe how high sales can get on a calendar basis in the future, but you know probably not through the probably only for the next two or three years or so if they don't um, not too bad. I would say, as I said, over the next two years probably just marginally. Now we do expect sales, irrespective uh, in taking into account higher interest rates, we still think sales will back up to a. 17 million annual levels by mid-day, which, as I said, were just the same levels we saw in the five years leading up to the 2020 pandemic. But looking at it that way, we don't see interest rates really playing out or having a significant impact, other than we're, we're, we're willing to think that we'll probably keep more people out of the market that are, that are price conscious, but the industry is focusing still more on uh, on producing those higher-priced, more profitable-type vehicles. And in a way, those those buyers are probably going to be left out of the market pretty much for the rest of this year and into next year anyway. All
0: right. Well, listen, we are certainly seeing uh, challenges in the short term, and I think we're going to continue to see them. But as challenging as the short term is, Intermediate and longer-term forces are also pressuring the U.S. auto industry. Uh, let, let's start with a question that I think is, is probably on a lot of people's minds. If the work-from-home phenomenon really becomes permanent, and I think a lot of people expect that it will, I would imagine that the work-from-home phenomenon is going to impact auto demand. Uh, what's your view
1: on this? I think, in the long term, and this is all my this is really just my personal view, I think there would be colleagues or peers that would disagree with me in the long term. I think it's going to lower demand you know there might and, and there, there might have been some actual kind of a short term lift demand because people in a way are you know this is changing their lifestyles and might want some people are going to want vehicles maybe that more match their new lifestyles but i you know, I think remote or, or teleworking, as I've heard some call it, I think the conference board might refer to it that way, I think it's going to keep growing. It was growing in the 20 years numbers I've seen leading up to the pandemic. It was just happening really slowly in a couple of numbers even prior to the pandemic. So the number of people working from home was pretty negligible. But obviously that accelerated in the last two years, and I think – what I've seen I, coming out of this pandemic, maybe this year and next year, we're we're going to be settling on a number of 15 to 20 percent that'll be working from home, plus plus some that'll be working from home two or three days a week versus maybe three percent prior to the pandemic. But basically, it means that people will once they get their cars and they've settled into this into this new way of life, they're going to be, I think, overall. Miles driven is going to be less, and vehicles are lasting a lot longer. And you could uh, put an example out there: a family buying, say, a, a two or three-row uh, large crossover, say, like a Chevrolet Traverse. If they're putting; they might be putting, they'll be putting fewer miles on it. The vehicles they are lasting longer. You could probably buy that or a minivan, and it could; it'll last you for ten, maybe fifteen years in good shape. As an example, so on the whole, I think it means less miles driven means a deceleration and replacement demand. I would All right, now,
0: if, while work from home is having that impact, at the same time, the U.S. might continue to see migration out of the city centers to the suburbs and the exurbs. It's been a constant question with the millennials. Now, if that happens, if we do continue to see migration out of the city centers, I w- again, I would imagine that should be a positive for auto demand. What's your view on that?
1: Yes, logically it should. I mean, a lot of people moving out of city areas, especially areas where they could have utilized mass transportation, will probably need to purchase a new vehicle, and then. Get back again to that. They're making some of these people are making a lifestyle change. Or they might want to buy a vehicle that even if they have one now, they might want to replace it with something that more matches that lifestyle. And you're driving further to get to places. So I I think that in a way I think overall that migration out of the cities, if it continues significantly, it would be it would be an increase in demand. But I think looking at the the offsets, like more working from home and some other um, headwinds that are out there that are, and it's one of them being that families are still getting smaller and it seems like more people are deciding even not to have families and so forth. And then there are other, other things like ride sharing and other stuff that might come into play. I don't think overall it's going to help lead to a net increase in demand. It would probably offset some of those other other ones we would see to demand growing. Okay. Well, let me ask:
0: uh, weather events uh, of recent days have yet again brought climate change to the to the front of the news, and it's clearly going to continue to affect the life of auto consumers and auto producers. So, I'm going to ask a specific climate change related question: uh, What do you see for the path of electric vehicles? In uh, the American auto market, let's say for the next few years.
1: All right. Well, I'll just start again by just sort of breaking it out, and including going over where we see the numbers going in the next years, but, and then to answer your question more directly. You know, straight out, we do see in the U.S. electric vehicles, but really, we, in the long term, we, we still we see long term growth, but not growth to the extent that they don't even get to the halfway market sales until at least sometime in the middle of the next decade. So we are going to see growth, and we are seeing some in terms of volume and market penetration this year, and it will be steady. I would say the way to gauge whether or not they're getting better over time is just track sequential sales on a quarterly and annual basis. And just, again, to throw out a few numbers, we expect sales in the U.S. this year – 5% 5% of five percent to be electric vehicles, five percent of all the, of all the light vehicles sold this year. And Year to date, right now it's about four percent, but we expect it to get higher. But as I said, probably not even get to fifty percent for another twelve, thirteen years, and that's if we don't have some other events like major economic recessions that might push programs back. But the you know, manufacturers are plowing ahead, and I think at this point it's already—it's almost really realistically too late to turn back. Uh, so I think it's already in the—I think in the in the works. Of electric vehicles and, are going to happen. It's just how fast they're going to happen. Now, kind of more to more to what you're talking about with even the recent events with bad weather and and other things we're seeing. Yeah, I, I would say one thing that might accelerate that path to get there would be if we start seeing more climate change, like catastrophes, and more cities on the East Coast are getting flooded. Um, you know, hurricanes become more, severe hurricanes become more prevalent in the, in the Gulf Coast, hitting Texas and Louisiana and so forth. If so it gets to the point that all that stuff really starts to create a, you know, a, a tidal wave of, of, of uh, sentiment toward that consumers, and then it translates to the political will. You, you know, would that that might actually accelerate the speed that we think these electric fields can come near. But where is it going? It It's, it's going to happen. There's already too much in the manufacturer's plans. The commitment, is too much commitment that's already there. We're already going to see a lot of what, you know, platforms or, if you're not, into, if people aren't familiar with automotive and active platforms or the chassis that the support those vehicles, there's more of those that are going to be dedicated to just building electric vehicles. They're not going to be, are not going to be supporting uh, things that can support uh, gasoline pr- propulsion engines or, and that. It's already, it's already happening. It is going to come just because almost, it's almost, it's really just too late to turn back now. It's just going to be how fast is it going to get you know? here?
0: Huh. Let's let's take a step back and go global for one question. Just to this, and I really want to ask where you think the the energy is coming from, and specifically which parts of the world are going to gener- Do you think are going to generate the most promising new markets for U.S. auto producers? U.S. auto producers. Over the next decade or so, where on the global map is, is the energy going
1: to be? You know, I don't, I don't think that you can say there's anything I really that jumps out that you can say globally or you know, certain regions or major countries that are going to present a lot of growth opportunities and in, in, in terms of bringing in more volume, it's probably going to be more related to how these manufacturers execute going forward with their electric vehicles and the high-tech stuff that we see coming that's going to – kind of technology is going to wrap up eventually to fully automated vehicles, that's where they're going to find growth and revenue. And, that, and that's going to happen – that's going to be how well they do it in the North America. In China, if politics don't. Current if the geopolitics with what's going on in China don't are in a stumbling block, which I would say right now they probably are, and maybe some opportunity in europe where except that I think Europe is pretty well entrenched with uh, with the competitors that have there now. I would say just where where there might be potential in the long run would be like maybe like Mexico and South America. Maybe in Africa, but that's, that's if these countries can develop a stabilized, they can have more stable economies and start, uh, long, in the long term and, and fortify and, you know, improve their middle class and so forth. That's probably where there would be a lot of potential volume growth. And, uh, you know, U.S. manufacturers already have presence. Especially in, in Latin America and somewhat in Africa. So I would say maybe there, but that again that that hinges on a lot of uh, uh pot. that's probably really a long term thing, like five to ten years before so you expect to any any type of traction in those areas because of the instability that they, they have there right now.
0: Final question for Haig Stoddard. Haig, A much talked about topic, the rapid pace of manufacturing, general manufacturing process innovation has created the need for a more skilled and educated workforce in U.S. manufacturing as a whole. In my discussions for many, many years with manufacturing executives, there's no topic that has been more prevalent than that. Let me ask, how would you describe workforce pressures in the U.S. auto industry? Are, are generally speaking, are auto producers suffering from a labor and/or a skills
1: deficit? Yeah, I would say definitely. They're definitely struggling to find uh, workers and skilled workers from anywhere from the plant floor up to management to
0: engineering and
1: and software design and so forth. And I, I think you know it's not a subject that I spend a lot of. I don't focus on, but just from what I've gleaned. Uh, from following the industry or from people I've talked to, and you know, they're finding, you know, one thing they're struggling to find anyone for those positions that require any type of certification. And it doesn't seem like that we're producing in the United States enough of those people, especially when you get into advanced certifications and engineering, engineering qualifications and so forth. And that doesn't and that doesn't seem the other part of that is it doesn't seem like there's enough younger people or people that are going that are going to school that even want to do all the kind of work that the auto industry could use right now, so I think what happens longer term and besides maybe you know increasing immigration I guess would help, but I think longer term it means the automakers and maybe like the tier one suppliers and that they're probably going to depend more on third-party sources that are lower tier-type players, um, especially I mean, as we get more into the, this uh, era where the vehicle is more considered to be a software-designed vehicle, defined vehicle, rather than a hardware-defined vehicle. I think you're going to see there's going to be a lot more collaboration and a lot more dependency on, on outside sources to to ameliorate that problem. Even on the factory floor, there are still challenges, and I think partly right now what's happening because of the pandemic is that people just don't want to do that job, including some that decided not to go back to that job even after the pandemic, uh, after, after they did went through their pandemic-caused reassessment of their lives.
0: And then, you
1: know, just to drill down further, it's even that the loss of women from the workforce is hurting. It's hurting the, 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 the you know, the labor on the factory floor as well as all the way up into the, the past talent type of uh, positions. So I, I think that, though, might start to get more alleviated, especially as we get go, get out of the pandemic and maybe other jobs start to dry up in the economy, particularly if the manufacturing of other goods uh, starts to slow down. There might be more of a pool then. But I think there are going to be people who, who maybe quit or didn't want to go back to those jobs uh, right now are going to decide they actually did like that better paycheck after all, and I think some of that is going to improve. Long term, I don't think there's going to be as many needed to work on a factory floor because we're getting in, you know, the more the more we get into advanced manufacturing, the fewer people you need to do more, you know, on the automated level, and that's on the automaker level. On the supplier side, though, a lot of the factory jobs pay less than the OEMs do, and they are having to compete more with the other industries or other jobs where they're increasing wages, like in the service sector. So that's a problem that could that could be more acute than what we're seeing at the manufacturer level, at least at the at the on, on the factory floor kind of a, a place. I think there's going to be more of a finite pool of workers at the supplier side.
0: Hey, Stoddard, you gave us your time. You gave us your expertise. Thank you very much for once again coming on the show with me.
1: Thank you, Cliff. I, it was a lot of fun. Hopefully you can do it again. I, I, I very much hope so. Uh, for our listeners,
0: we covered a lot today, a lot of issues in the critical industry We are going as we get, you know, go through this period of tumult. These issues are going to manifest themselves in different different ways in different industries, and we're going to try to explore them because this period of time is going to leave a mark that is going to be with us for decades to come. For now, I'll say this is Cliff Warman saying, "We'll see you next time."